Bren. It's Saturday morning. It's Saturday. Um, I'm drinking my coffee. And for all our listeners, I'm sure you you heard the news yesterday that RBG died yesterday. Yeah, I literally gasped when I saw the news. I walked into my parents' house and I I was just so shocked. And I was like, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I And I know she wanted to hold on. But God bless. Yeah. Um, rest in peace. I definitely saw the news, um, which was really interesting because I was just about to record a podcast, which I'll talk about later, um, just before I heard the news. And I, I thought, how am I going to do this? But I did it. And, you know, I definitely had a moment of this is sad. My heart physically hurts. My heart mm. hurts. But at the same, in that same breath, it was like, such a strong fire was lit. Such yeah. a strong fire was lit because you know she tried so hard to hold on for as long as possible. And I personally will not let that go in vain. So no. I hope everyone listening who feels the same way about RBG will not let that go in vain. Right. If we haven't said it enough, please go vote. Please go register now. Please make sure you have your absentee ballot or you're in line or you're safe. However you can do it, because that's the least that we can do for RBG. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. I was, um, it is Saturday morning. So I actually just finished a workout and showered before I started doing this. And I was doing one of Atkins classes, which he called Massive Action, which again, as I said last week, has been a theme of this season is action. But he said something in the class, which was there is no courage without fear. And I know just scrolling through Mm. Twitter, Instagram yesterday, so many people were just afraid and Mm. they put it down in writing. And I thought, well, you need that. You need that fear to light that fire, to give you courage to move forward. So, yeah. And it's one of those situations that's so sad, but Maybe it is kind of the fire we need lit under our butts to really make sure that we don't, like you said, let her die in vain. Yeah, yeah. I mm. sent um, I sent Jen and like our what we call our Slack group <laughs> yeah. a video this morning that I oh saw gosh. this morning about. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It is so Can good. Can we link them? I will link it. I will link it and share it. But this video, because I think it it just so simply shows you the importance the importance of voting but not just for the top of the ticket it's not all about the executive branch you gotta learn right about well girl and it was so funny because we'll obviously link you all but the coonery and buffoonery at the top of the song i was like why did anastasia just send me this like what does this mean like black people need to get it together and i was so like i literally had chills like I, what a masterpiece i might repost that to my feed just because Wow, yeah. it's just so powerful to have it broken down like that. And he does it in three minutes, y'all. So exactly. uh, really, I know we link you to a lot of things, but this is more important, more massive than any song I'll link you to or to any career change for either of us. Like, we just want you to understand the branches of government, how voting works, how impactful your voice can be. It is not just about the president. Very important, but it's not just about the president. So yep. yeah, we'll link you guys. And that's that's all we got to say on that. Yeah. And fill out your census, of course. 
Yes. Um, but we have a really amazing episode. We do. Nothing to do with that because we recorded it two months ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited. I just re-listened to our conversation with Jeremy Schneider, who is the founder of Personal Finance Club. And it was a super inspiring conversation. And um, before we even get into any of that, we are going to do a bonus episode behind the paywall uh, that dives a little bit more in depth of our personal finance journeys. And because um, I kind of want to talk about that, but it, it's like a big conversation. So we're going to save that for uh, our Patreons. And uh, but yeah, what did you think about the episode? I mean, Jer Bear. That's all I have to say. <laughs> our schmoopy. I mean, you just have to dive in and listen. So we'll see you on the other end, guys. Jeremy, welcome to the non-traditional podcast. Yay. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yay. Awesome. I discovered you a few months ago. Um, through my friend Ramona and you know I was like wait what is this information I need this in my life (laughs) I wish I had it when I was a teen but anyway here we are (laughs) yes we love a good finance roundup you know yeah for sure (laughs) so Jeremy for someone who doesn't know who you are or what you do explain to us what you do and how you move through this world (laughs) okay well I mean right now I basically teach people about personal finance and investing on Instagram which is how you found me. And I also have a website and stuff. And um, yeah, you mentioned that you wish you knew this when you were teenagers, but this is, it's crazy that this is like a critical piece of like being an adult and navigating in a world where money, like everything surrounds money, but revolves around money, but we don't actually teach it or even discuss it. It's almost like a faux pas to talk about how much money you make or how much debt you have. And, and, you know, anyone can talk about like their new car that they just bought, but then talking about like, what you're investing in is like, you know, it's like, oh, we don't discuss that. Like, it's just such a weird feature of our culture. So yeah, I'm basically trying to bring like good, honest, altruistic knowledge to anyone who can use it, especially focusing on young people so that when they're older, they're not broken, you know, have trouble retiring and things like that. That's awesome. We're going to go way deep on that for sure. But We like to start at the very beginning on this show. So I'm going to ask, when you were little, what did you want to do when you grew up? Yeah, you sent me that question ahead of time. And I was thinking very honestly about it. And the the answer is like, it was really, I have like two nerdy memories of like my first like dream job was one. I heard that like, or my friend maybe also heard this, that like the hardest job was rocket scientist. So I was like, all right, I want to be a rocket scientist. So that's the <laughs> hardest job. It's like such a, such like a pretentious thing for like a six-year-old to want to do. Um, and then the other one is my mom was really into sailing. And so I got into sailing. And so then I wanted to be like a marine architect, like to design boats, which actually is like, seems really cool. And I would still love to do that. But I don't know if that's like a very in-demand job. I feel like probably pretty hard to get that job but yeah those are those are like my very I wish I had some like cute kid story I was like oh I wanted to be a doctor or I don't know like a dog walker or something I don't know what kids want to be but yeah those are my nerdy answers nice <laughs> hey you were dreaming big we love that <laughs> um so okay so rocket scientist obviously you didn't do that or designing boats but hey maybe you could still do that sometime in the future but where did when you got to college or you were on your way to college where did you settle what did you um, decide okay this is what I'm going to do to make money and pay the bills so my path kind of like was necessarily it was like there's a few big blocks that kind of forced me to where, where I ended up going and so I remember my freshman year of high school my brother was going to 
um, these college entrance uh, seminars to like, because he was a senior in high school. And I remember I lived in Michigan and the University of Michigan seminar said, if you're an engineer, like if you're an engineer at Michigan, you don't need any foreign language to get into college or to graduate. And like, I sucked at French. I hated it. It was like my worst. I, you know, now as an adult, I like really like treasure the idea of a foreign language. And I wish that I did. But at the time I hate it. So I was like, all right, engineering, I can go to like the best school in Michigan without foreign language. Um, so I went into engineering. Then both my parents were in like the computer industry, as was my brother and like my immediate family, just those four. And so they were all basically computer science people. And I said, okay, I'm definitely not doing computer science. I am like the black sheep of the family, anything but computer science. But the very first um, class of college was like an intro to engineering, which was a computer science course. And like, I was just extraordinarily good at it. It just came super naturally to me. And so I was like, all right, computer science. And so basically, it's in your I, genes. yeah, I know. And you know, I feel like computer science is one of those things like, it's, it's kind of like hard to teach. It's like people that get it, their minds just work that way. And people who don't, it's like, it's really hard to like overcome studying, you know, that kind of thing, you know, in that discipline. Yeah. I am a, um, I am a fellow computer science engineer who doesn't Are use you? her degree. Yeah. Oh, great. Good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. But, um, no, it, you're right. It, it just came to me so easily that awesome. it wasn't, I didn't have to try hard. So computer science engineering sounds crazy, but my brain thinks that way. So that's, yeah, yeah that's the degree it's I got. It's like such an unfair advantage. And, you know, my friends who were like taking the courses and couldn't figure it out, I was like, it just, it just clicks. And if it doesn't, like, I don't think you can study your way out of that, you know, yeah. unfortunately. And like, we're very fortunate because it's a good skill to have today. Like a lot, you know, I don't think in our lifetimes and probably the lifetimes of our children, like, will you not need to know a lot about computers? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, okay. So computer science engineering. So I'm guessing, I mean, Google was calling, like Apple was calling. Did, did you decide to go take a tech job somewhere? So yeah, I'm 39. I turned 40 this year, believe it or not. And um, when I was in college, like Microsoft was kind of like the uh, was king of tech companies. And uh, yeah, so I actually like end up getting a inter- getting a couple internships at Microsoft. I met Bill Gates twice at his house. They had intern oh, barbecues wow. for Bill Gates, and then um, I got like a full time job offer for Microsoft to become a software engineer there. And I turned it down. I like did not want to work there full time. Um, I love, it's not really nice company. Like they pay really well and they're um, make good products and all that. But I just didn't like doing the exact same thing over and over. And I didn't like having my effort have very, like a double of my effort has like a very little increase in like the outcome of my personal benefit. Right. So like, I feel like at Microsoft, you could just kind of like coast along or you could like kill yourself working a hundred hours a week. And like, for sure, if you work a hundred hours a week, over the course of your career, you'd climb the corporate ladder. But like, you know, I wasn't looking for like the 10 or 20% per year increase. I was looking for like the big exit. So I started a company instead. Oh, wow. What what company did you start? So uh, when I was actually in my last year in college, actually I was getting my master's degree, I started a company called Rentlinks, R-E-N-T-L-I-N-X. And uh, it's a tool for landlords. So if you're a renter and you want to look for an apartment, you can go to Zillow or Craigslist or apartments.com or rentals.com. There's like 50 of these sites out there. And so landlords have this problem. How do you post to 50 different sites, keep your ads updated, keep your Mm. content current. And so I made a site where you could post once it automatically feeds to 50 different sites. And so when you go to Zillow or apartments.com or apartment guide, and you look through their listings, a lot of those, a lot of that data 
is coming through like the technology that I built over the last, you know, 12 years of my life. Wow. Is that still active now? Yep. Still active, still running. So I sold that company in 2015 um, for just over $5 million, which was really nice. Sure. Um, and Casual. <laughs> It was. I mean, as far as tech acquisitions go, you know. No, absolutely. It's no big deal to me. Is, I don't, is it a big deal to you? <laughs> it's a giant deal to me. <laughs> like, before I sold that company, I was, like, basically living just above the poverty line. I had never made more than $36,000 a year. I was driving a 99 Ford Explorer. had a roommate, um, you know, the whole thing. And I still live frugally. But, um, but yeah, that was, you know. Yeah. life-changing amount of money for me. I mean, for come sure. on. I, I actually want to touch on that because you're quoted saying, I wasn't really doing anything that interested. I was as interesting. I was just spending less money than I had. And I'm so intrigued by that. I think a lot of people are wanting to like hit the lotto or get a big payout or get lucky. And, and much like everything else, they want their fortune to be sensationalized. You know, tell us where you learn to be frugal, and even, you know, even in the midst of a $5 million acquisition. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I don't remember saying that quote, but it sounds like something I would definitely you say. You said I'm sure it. I say I'll, stuff like I'll that send you a link. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, I think that like the normal American experience is one of spending and consuming and ramping up your standard of living as high as you can. It's kind of like we, we all have this like mentality that, that we'll, we'll eventually make so much we can't ever spend it all. But that, that day never really comes. And so people just keep spending, 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 and then they stay broke, you know, and, and, you know, to the benefit of like the massive corporations who prefer that we stay in debt and prefer that we work full-time jobs and go and just pay the bills. Like kind of like a funny story is like what you see behind you, I, I apologize to the podcasters, but, uh, um, but we're on a Zoom call right now and like I'm sitting in my, my new two-bedroom condo here. And I actually tried to get a mortgage to this place because I was like, ah, like, Money is really cheap. I might be able to use that money slightly more effectively elsewhere. I was going to do like 50% down, 50% mortgage, like a very um, subtle mortgage. And like, I literally did not get approved for a mortgage despite having a net worth of almost $4 million at that time. Um, and This the does mortgage- not bode well for me. Why? <laughs> well, see, well, maybe not because, and the reason is because I didn't have a job. And like the banks just want, like, I literally could have gone and gotten a W2, like I could have gone and gotten a job. Like I'm a pretty employable dude at this point in my life. Could have gone and got a job, like gotten my first W2, first paycheck, like shown to the mortgage company. And they'd be like, wonderful. Like you can have millions or whatever. Um, But, you know, they don't want people who are self-sustaining. They want someone who's going to go to their job every day for the rest of their life and just make payments to the bank forever. And that's like kind of, the normal American experience. Like we just make payments. We live in this world of payments, 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 lease the car payments, get the house payments, credit card payments, student loans payments. And then you spend 40 years working and then you're, you know, you've basically spent your life being, you know, just a indentured servant to make these, these, uh, no, that's similar. Similar thing happened to our friend Jonathan, who's also in the film industry. And the way that the film industry works is you have a job and then you're off for six months, four months, whenever, until the next gig comes on. Yeah. And he bought a place in Clinton Hill and he had the hardest time. He had to shift funds around because they were just like, well, you don't work half of the year. And it's like you had all these savings. And it's just so interesting how that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're all sort of, you know, we're freelancers, so we don't have real jobs. So if you don't have that history, it can be super, super difficult. So this kind of brings me to what, I mean, your current state right now. So you sold your company. You don't work in tech anymore. You actually don't work, quote unquote, anymore. You're retired, question mark? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like the word retired is super pretentious as a 39-year-old. Maybe as pretentious as a six-year-old rocket scientist. I don't know. I'm, I'm basically <laughs> always, always pushing that boundary, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't have I don't have a job, you know, and I, you know, after I bought this place and the coronavirus crash, like my net worth is around 3.5 million at the moment. And, you know, there's this thing called the safe withdrawal rate, which is based on the invested assets you have. More or less, you can take about 4% per year out. And so $3 million is $120,000 per year. And so I'm over that. So basically, as long as I spend less than $120,000 per year, I won't go broke forever. Um, and that's with like, you know, no future income at all. It's, you know, it's just a rough heuristic based on the historical volatility of the stock market and inflation and things like that. So um, it's not like, just so our audience understands. So it's not like that money is just sitting in like, I don't know, like a regular bank account or something. It's being invested. So it keeps making money over time. Exactly. Is what you mean. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the, historically, the stock market returns about 10% per year on average. So if you, 100 years ago, you invested 10,000 bucks, and then you looked at today, it'd be many millions. But over time, that's about a 10% per year return. So, But you can't rely on that 10% return because sometimes weird stuff happens. Like there's a coronavirus and the market drops by 30% in a month. Right. But 4% is basically the safe withdrawal, right? Where you can take 4% of the starting amount out every year. And, you know, that's not a guarantee because we don't know what the future is, but, you know, it's kind of like just a rule of thumb that's about right. You know, 1% is obviously too low. You could put 1% into a checking account and then take out 1% a year for 100 years before you run out of money. And um, that will last for everyone listening to this show because probably unless there's some babies listening who are going to live very old, um, no one's going to live 100 years now, right? So 1% yeah. is too conservative and then 10% is too aggressive because if you uh, if you assume you're going to get the full amount every single year, then there's a couple of bad years in the market. Then you could basically go broke. So that's where 4% comes from. And right. um, just so you know, we do have some baby listeners. So oh, great. Just, yeah. good, good to those babies know. Yeah, Talk our, about <laughs> our target audience is very vast. Oh, good. <laughs> but um, so, OK, just looking at your history right now, you know, you wanted to be a rocket science scientist. You went into tech, formed your own company. Why did you decide after all of that to move into what is basically personal finance education is how I would see it right now? That's a good question. And uh Basically, so I haven't. I quit my job about three years ago, and and since then I've kind of had this really weird thing where I'm like kind of in the prime of my working years and don't need money to necessarily like make ends meet. And when I was young, I needed money just to eat. Um, but there was a day where my girlfriend at the time asked me like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "I would love to like teach people about personal finance and investing." And I've had some other tech entrepreneurial ideas. Like I think I could. Knowing what I know now with my history of like a successful exit experience of growing a company, I think I could make a much bigger, much more successful company, but I just don't care about any of the ideas. Like I don't care about creating a startup for the sake of making a billion dollars, you know, like I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't turn down a billion dollars. Like it just sound bad. I'm sure there's like some cool things that come along with that, but, um, but I don't think I could even get there if I didn't care. Well, like every morning, like this morning, yesterday, tomorrow, I assume, like I wake up and I still get amped about like talking about this stuff with people because just like you guys said, like this normal experience is so backwards for most people and, and they don't hear this message. And so if I can spend like 30 minutes on a podcast or whatever, explaining some of this stuff, it can literally like make millionaires out of people. Um, I get messages almost every day of people who have like shifted their mindset a little bit, who have shifted how they invest or how they spend. 
And I, you know, I project those changes out over the course of their career and it makes like millions of dollars of difference for them. And so like that just, it just amps me up every day. So I just, I just do what amps me up. Wow. I love that. I, I, I did want to know kind of what mentorship means to you in your life on both ends. Like, do you have any mentors that you value throughout your life? And I know that's a big part of the personal finance club. And also, how do you think we can get some of this information to marginalized folks where it's not like even a prospect to think millions and all of these uh, financial uh, ambitions that you have? Yeah, those are two like very different questions, I think. Um, so the mentorship thing, I don't I've never like, I don't have a, a formal mentor. Um, people have like asked me to be a formal mentor and I don't know, it feels like a little bit too, I don't know, constrictive or something. Um, I mean, I really like helping people and whatever I can, I do. Um, but there's certainly people like I look up to, um, not necessarily, you know, some people I know, some people I don't know. And I always try to learn as much as I can from those people. But I um, mean, yeah, I guess in the formal, formal framework, that's never been something that I've really sought out on, on either side. Um, in terms of getting the information to marginalized people, that's like a very good question and probably a very hard answer because, yeah, when you look at the data, it's pretty terrible, right? Like if you look at just wealth inequality, period, um, you know, the richest people have so much money. It's like crazy, you know, like the, the top, you know, 1% of the 1% have like half of the wealth of the entire nation, right? And then when you break it down by like race, it gets even worse where it's like, you know, white families have, you know, like 10 times the net worth of the average black family and, and Latinos are kind of on the lower end of that scale too. And, and so cer clearly there are certain like built-in inequalities into our system or built-in, um, you know, headwinds that certain families face. Um, and, you know, how do we fix that? And it's really hard. And I think, you know, I tend to think education is the answer, the long-term answer to everything, right? Um, you know, there's for sure band-aids that we can put on, but I feel like we need, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that like marginalized people have at least as good, you know, I feel like asking for equality there is like the minimum we could ask for, but you know, to, to get equality, we need to give them better opportunities, better educational opportunities. Um, but you know, they're not even getting as good opportunities because, you know, rich parents are living in rich neighborhoods right. who pay higher, you know, fees for their schools who get better, you know, or go to private school. And then the opposite is true for people who are marginalized. And so, um, you know, I don't know the answer, but that's basically what I'm trying to help with. And like the yeah. tiny little piece where I'm like, I went to Instagram first, just because I think that's where there's a lot of young people's eyes right now. Um, and whenever I can, I do whatever I can to basically make that information freely available and hopefully help. I, yeah. I mean, I consider personal finance club a mentorship. Do you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not that word. I don't know what I consider. Yeah. You know, like a, like a, a free information Instagram uh, account. I don't I know. I guess it's, maybe you're thinking more of like a one-on-one -on -one situation where I think you're providing this resource to people and I think that's so valuable. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll call me a mentorship. That's great. I mean, I, 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 I try to give myself too much credit. Most of what I'm doing isn't like, isn't very novel. I've just read all the classic books on investing and I make them into like little squares that have blue backgrounds and okay are, you're being too <laughs> humble numbers. relax okay. no i mean i'm serious <laughs> i think it's just like if you know I, I'm, I'm not like you know breaking a lot of new territory here in terms of research but i do think that if i have a gift it's just to like make things accessible, accessible. to people yeah that otherwise would be afraid of those types of concepts 100 100 percent. yeah uh now, I was going to say, um, I mean, you said the magic word there for me, education, um, and how we can get this knowledge more widely spread. Like for me, I'm 36 and I started 
my financial, you know, education journey four years ago, four, four, five years ago. But, you know, it's one of the things where now that I'm in it and I kind of, I've built my knowledge and stuff, I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? I was just this girl living in Brooklyn, living my best life, going to brunch every weekend, not even think savings. What are savings? What are those? (laughs) You know, and now looking back on it, you know, and I, Sometimes I don't like to look back because all I keep thinking is like, what if I had started when I was 18 and I could be a millionaire right now? And, you know, you don't want to do that, but you just want to look forward and kind of, you know, do the best that you can where you're at. But what do you think? I mean, do you have any ideas at all of what sort of what an education could be? Would it be in school, like traditional, like pre-K or like, you know, whenever, whenever you start? Is it? just making it cool to, you know, because for the longest time, like how I actually started was Acorns. My roommate one day was like, oh my God, there's this app, Acorns, and you save your your pennies or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I was like, wait, where are these pennies going? And they're like, oh, they're invested. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what What is this money I'm getting? Why is it inv-? And then that's just how it started. It started yeah. with an app. So yeah. do you know what it could be? to get people involved? Uh, I mean, I love that story about Acorns because like, you know, people have asked me about Acorns. I was like, hey, if that gets you started, then great. You know, I always say, don't let perfect be the enemy of good because, you know, just that curiosity, you know, you, you just like perfectly describe like the curiosity sale. You're like, you're like, ooh, like pennies turn into dollars and you're like, where do these pennies go? And and then you like start going down that rabbit hole. Um, but, but that said, like, I don't think we should necessarily, you know, this gets a little bit political, but I don't think that we should necessarily be like, leaving it up to like the tech sector to be like educating the masses. Um, although I support capitalism and I think that's a great like example of how it's done well for some people like you. But I think like, as long as we're supporting public education in this country, I think it's bananas that we don't teach money in like a required course, at least in or at least in middle school and high school, you know, like middle schoolers are fully aware of the math necessary to understand something like compound growth and the difference between spending and saving. And high schoolers are fully aware, like capable of understanding everything that I understand about, you know, expense ratios and mutual funds and index funds and, and Roth IRAs and like all the more complex stuff. And baking that stuff into a child child's education, I think, makes a massive difference. You know, um, a lot of people talk, I think you guys asked me about my mindset, like, where does this come from, like, living frugally? And, like, I think necessarily, like, we might all just, like, have no free will and be moist robots that are, uh, you know, like... <laughs> Moi- uh, I'm sorry, moist robots? Yeah, I didn't coin that term. I think Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, Yikes. said that originally. We're going to have to like, cut that. <laughs> yeah, no, not <laughs> Scott Adams. I think went off the deep end at some point, but... Um, <laughs> but he used to have a blog that was, like, pretty funny, but, but yeah, he, you know the concept of having no free will. And so why am I like, why am I like, because of my upbringing, because like my parents probably instilled that in me. And so, um, and I was fortunate, I was lucky. I had parents who talked to me about money and parents who like talked to me about frugality. And so how do we fix that is, um, you know, we have to get it to kids in public school. I think that's how we fix the problems of the world is through education. So, um, you know, but I'm not, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, is a very serious hobbyist in the space of, you know, personal finance and investing, but I don't know how to like move, move governments and curriculums. Um, I don't know. We've got to find someone who's good at that stuff, I guess. So Jer, 
Tell us about a time that you failed and it worked out in your benefit. You're, you look back on that and you're glad it worked out. I like that we're already at chair 30 minutes in. And it can, if it goes to Jerry Bear, that's, that's good too. Um, so yeah, the, the story that jumps to mind, strange enough, is uh, when I turned down that job offer at Microsoft, I w- was hungry um, and kind of in the metaphorical sense, but mostly in the literal sense where I like wanted food to eat because I was hungry. And so I needed people to give me money and so I could like exchange that for, you know, goods and services like at the grocery store. And so one of the things I did was email my old landlord who had a really crappy website and basically, sorry, before I emailed him, what I did is I made him a new website. And this was back in like 2002 or something, which like websites were pretty, you know, less fancy than they are now and certainly harder to build. And so I built him like a pretty new fancy website where you could search all his properties and see photo galleries and search by location and all this stuff that was like vastly better. Um, and then I emailed it to him. I said, hey, my name is Jeremy. I'm a former tenant. Do you want to buy this website that I made you unprompted? And it was just crickets. And I was like, oh man, like, God, that was a lot of work. And you know, I was, I didn't, no one was paying me anyway. So working for three days to build this site wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and so that was kind of the fail part. But because I was hungry, I like really wanted to at least get like a note in my face. And so I, I picked up the phone and called him, which like to this day terrifies me to call someone on the phone because I'm just like a shy person. Um, but I called him and he picked up and I said who I was. And I said, hey, did you get this email I sent? And he said, no. And I said, would you mind checking if I send it again? He said, okay. And so I sent it. And then at the time, I could actually see how many people were connecting to the website and it was like zero, of course. And I was like watching it carefully, zero, zero, zero. And then it went to one, one, one for like 10 seconds and then back to zero, zero, zero. And then it was like silence again. So I was like, well, I guess, you know, I tried. That's what I get for the three days of work. You know, he looked at it. Um, but then the phone rang, like literally the phone rang and he said he wanted to buy it. And he asked how much it was. And I was like, uh-oh, didn't think about it. Like, <laughs> I thought we were going to have some more like courting process before we got to like the negotiations. And so uh, uh, I like made up a number off the top of my head and, uh, you know, he said that he's like negotiated me down a little bit. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, And yeah, that was like my first sale. And so, um, you know, proud of like little 22 year old Jeremy who was brave enough to pick up the phone on that one. Yes, to that. Well, I have a question that kind of goes on that. Do you ever think of your personal finances as like a game or a strategy? Or do you think that you've gotten where you've gotten because you take it seriously most of the time? Yeah, uh, I think I'm a competitive dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I ran track in college and I um, I do think about things very analytically. Like, you know, I try to optimize every little thing. Like, And I think track came naturally to me in that sense because there wasn't a lot of like, you know, I feel like basketball or volleyball or football, there's like a lot of other players and there's a lot of like nuance. There's a lot of like not very measurable things, but it's track. It's like, how hard are you running? Like, what are, what calories are you putting in? Like, how is your training? Um, so I feel like that like lent itself to my personality. And for sure, money's the same way. It's just like, okay, here's a game. You optimize you how much money can you put in? How much growth rate can you get? You know, how long can you hold it? Like, it's a pretty straight up formula like that. And I think, you know, I, I do think I'm more like a robot personality, robot side of the spectrum. And so I think that comes more naturally to me. Uh, and a lot of people are always looking for like, you know, more I don't know, creative ways to grow their money or something. Right. But I was like, like, no, don't do that. Like statistically, it's worse. <laughs> so I just do the better thing, you know? Oh my goodness. That is so funny because this flows right into my next question where I was like, at the bottom of every single Instagram post you have, you say, 
live below your means and invest early and often. There's no, you know, secret message to that. It's like clear. It's exactly what you need to do. Why do you think people find that so hard to do? Because literally, you know, everyone always wants the secret weapon, the cool thing to do. Should I be an Apple stock? Like, what should I do? And then it's like, no, just live below your means and invest early and often. But that just doesn't sound cool. It's Why not do you sexy. think? <laughs> Why don't people just do that? Yeah, it's not cool at all, and uh, and no one, you know, no one is selling that, right? Like, no one's making money from that. Like, there's no gurus who are being like, "Oh, join my five thousand dollar month like guru coaching course." And it's like, and then they get there, like, okay, first step is do not pay a guru. <laughs> it's a, right? it's a waste. <laughs> it's a waste of money. Second, invest that money. Um, you know, so. I don't know if it's like American thing or a human thing, but I think, you know, people just want, you know, want the shortcut. They want the magic. They, you know, and I think because we all kind of deep down know that there isn't a shortcut, that there isn't magic. And, and, and we just don't want to do the work because the work is hard and it's not fulfilling. And you see these visions of sports stars and Instagram models or whatever who are, and you're like, wait, like, how do I get from A to B? And they, it doesn't look like they are living below their means and investing early and often. It looks like they like got transported into a yacht with like champagne bottles or something. And so it's like, where is that path? Um, and the thing is that path doesn't exist. And so I, I feel like for like the normal American experience, they like are looking for that path and it doesn't exist, which is, I love that you notice I put that in every post because that's really the nuts and bolts of it, right? Like if you spend every dollar you make and you don't invest, you're broke no matter what. No amount of fancy Apple stock picking or gurus are, are going to change that. But if you spend less than you make and you invest the difference, even if it's not perfect investing, you're going to build a lot of wealth over time. And, you know, and this isn't just Jeremy's crackpot idea. It's like this is literally what Warren Buffett says and does. This is what Jack Bogle says and does. This is what like the, the altruistic, brilliant financial minds of our time all say. But people aren't like reading what Jack Bogle says and like carefully investing in index funds. They're like paying gurus to like show them the shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. I have a quick question for my brother, actually, because he was excited that we were interviewing you. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. He just was curious about your approach to finances during the pandemic. He said a lot of people, especially young people, are really confused right now. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic is a great example of how weird stuff happens, but it's the perfect example of how you should basically ignore all the noise. And so, you know, I have changed nothing. I've made zero trades this year. I, I'm not shifting asset allocations, I'm not buying different stocks. I'm not, I'm not changing anything because everything the sum total of human knowledge knows is baked into the stock market and all stock prices at all times. And so everyone knows there's a pandemic going on. Everyone knows like what the virus rates are. Everyone knows what the different countries are doing, you know, all the stuff everyone knows. And so, so from any individual's perspective, mine, yours, any person's, we have some subset of that total knowledge, right? And so when we look at this like partial picture and then try to like draw conclusions from it, we're just going to draw incorrect conclusions, right? And so, for example, like a classic one is, you know, in on March 27th, the market was down 30% and people were like, should I sell? Should I get out now? Like the the pandemic's obviously going to get worse. And I was like, yeah, the pandemic's obviously going to get worse. But since everybody already knows that, the current stock price reflects that information. And then sure enough, like the next day, the market went up like 30%, like the next week or whatever. And, you know, did everyone, you know, did everyone see that 
giant rebound coming? Of course not, because at any moment when like a little tiny piece of information comes out, it's instantly baked into this market, right? And so what I would say about the pandemic is just use it as an example to ignore all the noise, ignore the nonsense, don't move into gold, don't sell your stock, don't change strategies, just keep investing early and often. Um, and that is the true path to wealth. You know, the only the only caveat I'd say is if you're someone who's like really either your job is affected or you don't have any cash, like I'd say for sure you want to make sure you have an emergency fund. You have like a buffer, which is like three to six months of cash that's just sitting there not invested so that if there is a pandemic, you're not going to payday loans or credit cards or overdraft fees and all the things that make being broke in America so expensive. Um, and, and, you know, the pandemic is obviously an example of why an emergency fund is a good thing to have. Um, but other than just, you know, making sure that your general personal finance is, is set there's nothing different anyone should be doing right now, in my opinion. And anything different you do is more likely to hurt you than help you. Wow. You heard that, BJ? Um, okay. Shout out to your I, brother I, for being a fan. That's, that pumps me up. I knew he loves my, he's the one who set up my retirement fund. Like, so I knew he'd be, he'd be pumped about you. So I nice. asked him if he had any questions. Other than obviously subscribing to Personal Finance Club to learn about all of these you know, all these nuggets of information, where do you think people can find, you know, and, and really, truly just the basic things like what is a share? What's a retirement account? And, you know, I, I'm not trying to be glib or anything, but just these are things I didn't know, you know, and I was an adult living in this world. So where can people find these little things other than Google? Yeah, no, it's not glib. And, you know, and th those questions you just asked, like, what is a share? What is a retirement account? Like every single day, I'm trying to answer those questions because, nobody knows them, you know, like, you know, maybe 2% or 5% of people do and 95% of people don't. And so, you know, the answer is for sure books, like everything I know is just from, you know, a handful of personal finance and investing books, for sure, Google, you know, I, I don't think there's a magic one place to go that like explains everything, you know, and I always say, like, if you read three different personal finance books, you're just going to read the same thing three times, like they all say the same thing. But none of those things is like, the secret shortcut or get into an MLM scheme, hopefully, at least if you read, you know, the classic good books on investing, I guess. And so, um, you know, but, but I, I think that it's not that hard to find, like there's lots of people out there giving the good information. So like find the thing, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube or an Instagram or, you know, find the thing that you will consume. Like I know sitting down and reading a personal finance book probably doesn't appeal to most people who aren't robots like me. Um, but, uh, but I guess just, know that it's not that complicated. And if you, you know, put in a couple hours, you know, for a few days, you're going to be so close to having it right that, you know, you're, you're off to the races. What's, um, what's next for you? I mean, do you think, do you have any sort of plans or are you just going to keep on the personal finance club Instagram and what else do you do? Yeah. I mean, I'm basically putting my full-time effort in the personal finance club. I still really like it. I just released a personal finance club community so people can go and ask and answer questions at my website, personalfinanceclub.com. Shout out. Uh, you better you plug. Community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, um, and you know, I would love to just, you know, I'm a year and a half into this thing. I started in January of last year and I say overnight success takes about a decade. And so I think if you guys catch up with me in about eight and a half years, um, I'll have like a much bigger, um, you know, whether it's a business or a brand or a, an educational platform or whatever it is to push this message out to more people. Um, you know, I, I'm still kind of low budget myself. I'm kind of doing all the work myself. So there might be some sort of revenue in the future where I can help like start hiring people to get the message out further. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's actually really good. Do you make those each Instagram square? 
do you do Everything, this yourself? 100 percent me. It's uh, yeah, awesome. 100 me. Yes. It's in Photoshop. You know, other than the emojis or like a few clip arts or whatever, like it's all yeah, it's 100 percent me. Nice. Awesome. I think we finally come to a close here on this. This is so, this is so awesome. This is so good. Okay, yeah. I have one more question, um, and it's from the list that we gave you. So don't worry, don't start sweating. <laughs> I think the off-the-cuff ones are better. Like, Yay. Well, we try and get a balance going. Um, what does abundance mean to you? I, okay, I like that question. So I, just, I, I take back when I was knocking the canned questions. Um, so I think, you know, I think a lot of people think that money or success is a zero-sum game. Like if I have more, someone else has less. Um, and I don't think that's true. I, you know, I, I tend to believe that like a, a rising tide raises all ships where like if I'm more successful or I make more money, than other people around me are too. Like the products I make add value. You know, I think, and you know, I think you can see that in the history of the world. You know, despite the massive amounts of problems we have in the world right now, I don't mean to like mitigate that at all. But you know, like poverty is like global poverty is at an all time low. Um, global war is at an all time low. You know, the the amount of wealth in the world is being created is rising. And you know, again, I'm not trying to like mitigate the problems which are massive, but you know, if you compare it to like the middle ages or something where there was just like, you know, servants and swords and death and plagues and everything else, you know, it seems like on a very long scale, we're turning in the right direction. So I think that if you are successful and raise yourself up and raise the people around you up, that's good for the world. And it's not taking something else out of someone's pocket. That's what abundance means to me. Ooh. And that, wow. I'm amped because that is such a different answer than we've had from anyone else. Yeah. And I'm super intrigued. Abundance is my word of the year. It's my mantra. So I love to know what it means for people and kind of see what bits I can steal. So I love that. Yeah, nice. Amazing. Bringing other people up with you. Well, thanks, Jer Bear. Thanks. <laughs> all right, Jer Bear. We did it. We made it, we made it all the way to Jer Bear. We made it. Now we're buddies. We'll this totally so check great. back in with you in like eight, in eight years and a half and be years. Like, What's up, Jer Bear? Are well, we we're there? like both massive brands. Like, you know, you're on yes! NBC and I'm on Claim ABC. It. We'll like have some sort of a co-op or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. We're there. (laughs) Thank you so much. Wow. What an episode. I really loved how he answered the abundance question because it just made me feel inspired. Um, A rising tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. Got me. That got me. What did you think? He, you know, I love because again, it's such a hard topic to talk about. A lot of people don't like to talk about personal finance, but I think it's something that we, um, we should talk about more because it will help people, especially with education. Like this is something that we should learn when we learn how to add, you know, (laughs) when I learn what one plus one is equal to, Mm -hmm. I should also learn that I should maybe start saving. (laughs) You know, yeah, he reiterated that. And that's something that I think a lot of people have been saying, but it does, isn't put into action. I think part of that is because it benefits a lot of people when we don't know how to spend our money. And that's tea. And that's the tea. That's <laughs> the tea. And I have to say, I just have to say, though, because Jer was our first interview of mm-hmm. season two a few that's months right. ago. And 
coming into it, it's so funny because we all, you know, we're like, we're going to take a break. But for us, it didn't feel like a break. We were going into work. You were busy um, with work and moving. And, you know, I was starting to get back into work. So you just felt a lot of pressure. And then all of a sudden it was like, we have to record the first episode of season two. And it just didn't feel nice. Like there was just so much going on. And then we interviewed him and I was like, we got this. <laughs> yeah, and he was so kind. I mean, we cut it before he said this, but he just said so so many really nice things about our journey and how, what he sees for us in the future and for himself as well. And that was just really great because um, those things mean a lot. These are people that we admire. And for him to take the time to say that we conducted a great interview, full stop, is just great. And also that he just sees big things for us. And that was just really nice aside from a really useful and informative interview. Yeah, totally. So we're going to go now and record our, you know, little bonus episode talking about shmoney. Yes. Oh, before we go, I, um, I do have a music video coming out on Tuesday, the 22nd. So the day after you hear this, or maybe the day you're hearing it, um, just check out Esabala music. I'll have everything on there. Awesome. Excellent. Hey. So again, you know, you know how we do it. We link everything in the description. You'll find all the links to all of our socials and everything. You'll also find the link to our Patreon if you want to sign up and, you know, find out about Jen and I's financial journey. Yes. We're going to be talking a lot. Yes. See you guys over there. Okay. <laughs> Bye guys. Non-Traditional is produced and edited by me, Anastasia. And our theme song is Wildfire by Esabalu, and you can find it wherever you purchase music. You can find us on Instagram at non, that's N-O-N-E, underscore traditional, and Twitter at TraditionalPod. Subscribe to our newsletter on our website and keep up to date on all things non-traditional. 